Messy Situations, it's a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. What is going to haunt me for a long time is, did he do it? Even if he tells me he did or didn't, did he do it? And do I have a responsibility to do something? Welcome back to Messy Situations. I'm your host, Kane Sarhan. And I'm your co-host, Michelle Promaleko. And this is the podcast where we break down and break through all of life's messes, always starting with ourselves, and today, ending with ourselves, because it's going to be an episode all about us. How are you, Michelle? It's just you and me, babe. It's you, me, and, and Mesh, as always. Mesh is, Mesh is in the virtual hey, room. Everyone. We are recording virtual from... Three different continents today. I know. We've the gone power global. of technology. <laughs> Nothing stops messy situations. Unfortunately, messes will always find you, whether you exactly, like it or not. Exactly. Find you in London, Pakistan, New York, no matter where you are. How have you been since I last seen you? I'm pretty good. It's sunny in New York. We're heading into a long weekend and uh yeah i'm feeling good i don't i don't have anything crazy to report at the moment so i'm gonna leave it all up to you because i know you probably have something going on i always fucking have gotten myself into something it really i i, I have no I, listen i think it, i attract it, it it's just, it's just well really, i was you know, ab- i was about to say that your choice of words was really interesting because you just said I always get myself into something. And I just thought to myself, oh, that's like accountability and ownership right there with your messes. <laughs> Listen, I've done enough work to realize that I am responsible for most of the shit that happens, whether I like it or not. I have a very funny, messy situation that I'm in and a very not funny, messy situation that I'm in. I'll start with the funny one and then we can dive into the not funny one. The funny one is I have a medication I have to take every day because of my adrenal glands. Um, And the medication, I was not able to get it refilled before I came on this trip. I'm traveling internationally for work for a couple weeks. The pharmacy was out of it in Miami where I was before I left, all this shit. Weird thing, couldn't get it, was like, I'm flying into London major metropolitan city they've gotta have not gonna be an issue i'll figure it out no problem i get here you know i find a doctor who i can book an appointment with you know you gotta book a private doctor because i'm not a uk citizen whatever get the doctor's appointment they're like oh that medication it's a controlled substance here okay fine well what does that mean oh well it just means that we need to write your prescription and you have to like hand deliver it to the pharmacist. I'm like, oh, okay, that's no problem, not an issue. But it's gonna be expensive. And I've been in Europe before where they're like, oh, it's gonna be expensive. But like to them, expensive is like $25 because you know, they all have socialized medicine where they're not right. raped and pillaged by their healthcare system like we are. Yeah. Um, so I thought, oh, it's gonna be expensive. It's gonna be 50 bucks. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, sure. He's like, because the medication, so has a patent on it, so it comes from the US. You have to buy, even though I only need effectively two weeks supply, which is like 20 pills. He's like, you have to buy like the full shipment, which is a hundred of them. I'm like, okay, I need it. Like it's something I have to have. There's no issue. Like I have to have it. It's not a problem. Long story short, he's calling to pharmacies. They don't have it. He calls me back. He's like, I found a pharmacy that has it. You have to buy all 100 pills. 
it's going to be 1,300 pounds. <laughs> oh my God, stop. I mean, uh, like when you say controlled substance, I'm like, does it get you high? Because for $1,000, no. it's got to do something more than no. just keep you running. I was like, it keeps me alive, which is important. You know well, that's I mean? a so it's, kind of important, yeah. And by the way, it's because I have to buy 100 of them. Mind you, my supply in the US with my insurance is $10, right? It's like, it's like nothing. And I'm like, okay, so then I go to my friend who's here and I'm like, oh, I'm telling her this story. I'm like, I need the medication. So I'm like, I have to fork it up. You know what I mean? Like, this is insane. But like, what the hell? And I'm like dreading it. I'm like, Danny, my husband's going to fucking kill me. Because he's like, you were irresponsible. You didn't do it when you should have done it. You left it to the last minute. I was just thinking that. I was just thinking you got to get the pharmacy run in before you go on these trips. Well, the thing is, and, and it's a lot of it is just like overbooked, not prioritizing myself, not doing the things. Like there's a logistical failure on my part for sure and my friend is like wait my brother-in-law is a pharmacist let me see if he'll fulfill less than a hundred of them because you're a friend she gets hold of him he'll give you just the 20 takes the cost down to like 200 bucks which again annoying but like you know one-fifth of what it was gonna be or one-sixth of what it was gonna be because i'm only taking 18 pills and not a hundred, right? So I'm like, great. I call the doctor. The doctor isn't in that day. The office doesn't know. I'm, you know, they're British and polite. I'm a rude American calling every hour, just trying to get it done in between back-to-back meetings and dinners and investor shit and running around and, you know, our whole development team's here for the well because we're opening a location here. And so two days go by. Yesterday was my last day of having the, the supply of my medication. Finally get the prescription, picked up by a courier, taken over to the pharmacist. The fucking doctor wrote it wrong. No! So he wrote it for 100 pills when I only need 20. And I'm like, can you just give me 20? He's like, no. And I'm like, can you just, like, scratch it out and, like, write 20? Like, I I get if I was trying to go from 20 to 100, like, 5x more. But I'm like, I'm trying to take 5x less. So the pharmacist is like, no, I can't fucking do that. He's like, you have to get another one. I call the doctor at 9 a.m. when they wake up this morning. Oh, he's not in yet. We'll leave a message. He'll call you back. Hasn't called me back. I call at 11. Oh, he's with a patient. He's going to have to call you back. I call at 1. And every time I call, it's a different reception girl. And the other ones haven't written down the whole fucking story that I told her. Finally, this girl picks up at like 2.30. And I have a fucking meltdown where I'm like... This has been like 72 hours of trying to get like a basic medication that I need for my health. So I literally, like their office closes at five o'clock. I still haven't heard from this doctor. I just decide to get up and I'm like, I'm just gonna go to the office. And I like walk in and like sit there and I'm like, I need this prescription. And he's in with a patient, he comes out, he sees me. I'm like, I walk into his, he doesn't even invite me in. I walk into his office and I'm like, I need a new prescription. I gotta go. I like turned into such a pushy dickhead New Yorker. But this is like, I mean, this just goes to show you, but that it's like that level of like self-advocacy and like pushiness is what it takes to get anything done when it comes to like health and all the red tape, no matter where you are and all the stuff. And it just like always makes me think like people who aren't as assertive or don't have like the wherewithal or the ability to run all around town and do all that stuff. It's like, they're just completely fucked. It shouldn't be this hard. It just shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this hard. I have the exact opposite problem. What do you mean? They want to give you all the drugs? (laughs) 
no, I was surrounded by germ kids on this 13-hour flight to D.C. to Dubai. Then I'm like, Dubai to Pakistan. I know I get sick on the plane. I sneeze. It's the type of sneeze that you know. It's something's coming, oh. something bad's coming. By the time I land in Pakistan, my throat is on fire. I know I have strep because I'm prone to strep. And... What do I do? We send out for amoxicillin. Five minutes later, they just give me three days worth for like, I don't know, five bucks. And I took it and I'm fine now. Ugh. So you, you two, no, no you two and your strep throat <laughs> and you two creating the superbugs. Like, how do you even know that you needed amoxicillin? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Just spreading it around. There's no happy but medium like, here. It should be. And listen, this is like a controlled substance. I don't mind that there are rules or barriers to get it. I mind that like the inefficiencies of it and like the inability of like, it has to be delivered by hand. Why? The, the bureaucracy of like red tape of like physical copy, because to me, a physical copy, a courier who the fuck knows what he does. I don't know. Like it just like, that can't be safer. In today's world of like digital, like you should be able to pick up the phone. I have strapped it off. Five minutes later, amoxicillin shows up. Absolutely. Needless to say, my new prescription has gotten there. The pills are supposed to be with the courier on their way back to me, you know, unless he steals them. Who the fuck knows? Which in that case, I'm just going to give up and shrivel and die. So, you know, this is what I'm going to say. Pre-travel logistics are important. Prioritizing shit like prescriptions to not the last minute are important. I'm sure there was a 45-minute meeting that I did that I didn't really have to do before I left that, like, I did over the prescription, and that's the thing for me of just, like, sometimes I have a tendency to prioritize work and prioritize fun social things over administrative or important personal tasks, and the amount of time I've wasted making up for that and the amount of annoying, like, stress I've had is definitely a lesson and I think a bit of a rude awakening of like, okay, like I could have solved this problem very fast. Right, but this is like, this is negative conditioning, like at its best, right? Like now that you've gone through this, you're not gonna wanna go through this again. So now you are gonna prioritize it. And like, sometimes you just need to like, have that pain point or that like negative conditioning to be like, okay, never doing that again. Never doing that again, for sure. Or I should check if I can get it over the counter in Pakistan and just bring a shit ton of it back. Is Mexico, like, or is Pakistan like Mexico where you can walk in and basically buy any drug over the counter? You just walk in and start pointing at them? You can buy, you can get a lot, you can get a lot. Like I have a Ventolin inhaler that I need. I go to the doctor here in the U.S. Sorry, I haven't seen you in like a few years, so therefore I can't prescribe. I'm like, it's a, I haven't lost my asthma. I still have asthma. Just give me the prescription for it. You need to come in and see me. I need to know that you still have asthma. I'm like, this is stupid. I've had asthma since I was a kid. Meanwhile, here in Pakistan, yeah, you just walk in. I'm like, listen, I need six inhalers. Yep. Uh, they're like, okay. And give me some amoxicillin, too. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Just to stock up. By the way, you know what the amoxicillin makes sure you don't, you got to be careful with that shit. You know, any antibiotic. You don't want to do too much of it, and you also want to make sure you complete the cycles, because that's how I got my fucking strep superbug. Exactly. This is what I'm always preaching about. And also, as we know, it kind of messes up your microbiome. I hope nothing bad happens. It's kind of like the time that I thought I had strep, and instead I had the mumps. And then the last time I thought I had the mumps and I had strep B, I'm just, I just get weird shit. I forgot when you had the mumps. I forgot when yeah, Mesh the had mumps. the mumps. You know how I got the mumps? Oh, he got the mumps at a gay bar. 
there is an outbreak of mumps from gay males in California who traveled to Miami for New Year's where I was that year, where I hung out with a bunch of gay males at a gay bar, and that's how I got the mumps. Gay males meaning me and all my gay male friends. <laughs> NIH told me this. I'm not just making this shit up and like making rumors. They called me and told me. They first asked me, like, do you have sex with men? I thought that was a personal question, so I was a little, like, hesitant to ask, even though I don't. But I was like, that's just a bit personal. What does that have to do anything to do with my mumps? But they, they were basically trying to learn whether you're just around gay men. I mean, this is problematic. I, like, don't like where this whole, not with you, Mesh, but I don't like where this whole thing is going. Because, like, the monkeypox situation is already, like, disparaging to the gay community. Because there was a similar to what you just described situation where it started in, I think it was, like, a gay nightclub or event or something like that and this is so problematic because it just like stokes that fear and that like maligning of gay men in particular when it comes to starting viruses yeah, so oh my kane's about to be like but it's but our fault <laughs> because like I'm, I'm like let's be real and all my friends are talking like we're all getting the monkeypox vaccine because we do we're whores, and we yeah. have a tendency to <laughs> frequent each other in ways that maybe other folks don't. And unfortunately, there is a stigma that is from a basis of truth. So, like, listen, my ass is getting the monkeypox vaccine, and I appreciate you being an ally. And I do think there's a stigma that comes to it. Sure, I, there's a lot of like layers of shit, especially coming from that. And this is actually the perfect transition into the fucking fuck fest of a fucking mess that I'm actually walking into in about an hour. Does it have to do with your whoredom? <laughs> it has to do with whoredom in general. And the responsibility I have to two individuals and where the barrier lies and where you step in when you know that someone is not safe. And on that, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and I'm gonna go throw up in my bathroom before I have to tell you this story. Welcome back. I'm actually like anxious. I can um, see the angst on your face even through Zoom. So we were just talking about transmitted diseases. I'm going to back up a bit. I have a friend, a very dear friend who has been a friend of mine for six or seven years now. I actually met this friend, like you do in gay world, a lot of them through Grindr. We actually met through Grindr in the States many years ago. We actually met and hooked up. We had like one or two hookups, then like just very much hit it off as friends. He lived in Europe. He didn't live in London then, but he lived in Europe. I lived in the States. We both travel a lot for work. We would see each other sometimes. He'd say hi when he was in New York. Sometimes we'd hook up, sometimes we wouldn't. It was years ago, just like nothing ever formal, nothing, anything. Great guy, smart, intelligent, kind, thoughtful, you know, good looking, all these things. Always been a good friend, always been the life of the party, all of that. Also, very high tendency to party. And not just like go out, dance, drink, but recreational drug use on many levels, you know, often with drugs that sort of enter the like party circuits of gay world, you know, things like G, 
ketamine, what we call Tina, which is meth. Never even heard Tina. Tina, yes. All like disinhibitors is like where this is going, right? Because it's like... Disinhibitors that often are associated with sex. So, you know... So disinhibitors slash like aphrodisiac in it in yeah, like the way like, that it like fuels that desire it fuels sex it fuels that desire yes and in gay culture i mean there's a reason why stds the prevalence of this gay culture party circuit parties etc is like you know in a lot of these party zones these drugs become part of that culture those drugs lead to maybe overly sexualized situations over sexual behavior which then often can lead to putting yourself in more dangerous situations that often could lead to STD transmission and you know, it's a cycle, right? And so I, in my past, definitely was a fan of recreational drugs. I very much calmed down in my old age compared to what I used to do and have moved on to a, I would say more balanced lifestyle. I still love tequila like no other, (laughs) but you know. This friend, what's interesting about this friend is he's extremely high functioning, has a really big job, and he's the type of guy that like would leave work at like 5 p.m. on a Friday, be high off a kite and up for like 36 hours straight, dancing, having sex, partying, crash for 12 hours, and be like at work at 8.30 in the morning on a Monday. At the gym. Five yeah, days I don't. A week. I don't understand those types, but I've definitely witnessed those types, and it's like, yeah, it's some kind of like, I don't know, like superhuman ability to like exist on no sleep and just like go go go. I mean, like driven by who knows what, you know, some kind of inner demon probably, but it's unbelievable. I mean, I think there's a limit to how long you can do that, but I've definitely seen people do it for a while, and it's nuts. And I've seen him do it for years and years, and. I think, you know, I think during the week he's like very restorative. You know, it's sort of funny because he's like at the gym on juice cleanse, eating healthy, binge back to work. You know what I mean? It's like this. It's like almost like a Jekyll and Hyde. But some people are like extremist in that way, too. It's like they don't do like moderate. It's just like one extreme or the other. Yeah. And with him, I saw him about a year ago, a little over a year ago. He was in New York. And while he was there, we went out to dinner. It was on a weekday. He was there for work. And he told me that he had HIV, which obviously is something that we've dealt with for a long time in the gay community. It's something that carries a lot of stigma. As someone who has many friends who have HIV, as someone who has family members who have HIV, as someone who's done work around it from a volunteer perspective and and has done advocacy work around it. For me, HIV is just like you would look at diabetes, right? Or something like I have, where it is now so controllable with a medication. There are medications like PrEP that can prevent you from getting it almost, you know, as much as a condom, if not more. There are medications that make you now undetectable and untransmissible, which is a huge innovation in it. You know, we're starting to see studies that just came out now of actually being able to cure it, right, and and help people and cure it. So I'm someone, you know, if you were to ask me, would you date someone who has HIV? Would you be with someone who had HIV? My answer would be yes. No issue, no concern. Would I sleep with someone who has HIV? Totally. Would I be 
overly cautious, use prep, have a kind of like, be very safe, of course, right? Like I would want to be super smart about it, but it's not something that would do it. But I know people who are like, absolutely not. There is still a- There's still a stigma. There's still a stigma for some people. And, and fear, is there still fear? Like fear, like if you're- I think you're, there's you know, fear. The, yeah. Like the people who have contract, like your friend, for instance, when he told you, was he anxious about what the health ramifications were or was he more concerned with like the social ramifications? I think the health ramifications, if you're someone who has access to the medicine, are so manageable now. He was much more anxious about the social ramifications. And I think he felt a shame about it and a guilt about it and like carried a lot of baggage with it. And I think he was worried of like, what would I say and how would I react? And which is crazy to me, but there's still so many people there. So needless to say, he told me, my first thing was like, are you on treatment? What are you doing? Do you need anything? What is your T-cell count? How is it going? You know, and he's like, I have it under control. I'm on medication. Da, da. He had just found out and he is now, uh, or very quickly was undetectable after being on medication, undetectable, untransferable. What it was for him is we were just talking about this of sort of negative conditioning is this did shake him sort of into like, what life am I living? Right. Or like, what the fuck am I doing? How am I doing this? Like it sort of took him out of that crazy party life. Right. And sort of calmed him down. Not saying he doesn't go out, not saying he doesn't do those things anymore, but right, it was a reality check. Yeah. A reality check for sure. And that change of lifestyle has led him very recently to meet someone and by the way the one thing i'll say this whole seven years is i've never seen him he's never had a partner never had ah. someone and he's such a catch and and he's so amazing he's also but he never you know he would have sex with three people in a night you know he would so yeah, yeah so it, he like, was not about settling down not about no. having a partner right. even even in an open marriage would be too constrictive for him and he's now met someone and he's met this guy and he's told me about him and he's fallen head over heels and he told me we're gonna have dinner tonight and he called me about an hour before we got on this podcast and he told me that this man who he has sex with all the time and that he's in love with does not know that he has HIV and he has not told him <sighs> and he does not want me to bring it up and I am not allowed to talk about it and I am sort of shook to my core. Yeah, understandably. So I don't know this person, I've never met him scientifically as long as my friend is on his medication as he says he is and is doing what he's doing and is managing his disease he is untransmissible he cannot give it to this person it's such a complex issue because it's like well first of all he's now like burdened you with this information right now you're meeting this person it's already kind of a weird situation not that you would have brought it up but your friend could have just kind of rolled the dice right and been like it's probably not going to come up but he explicitly told you not to say anything i think i know what you're going to ask and like we'll get to the questions about like how you're going to deal with this but to not kind of well, even... the thing is let me tell you this in every hookup i've ever had in my entire life it could be right at the beginning or before insertion happens there is a question of like what's your status totally i know how to ask what's your status in 10 fucking languages it is like part of our culture what's your status are you on prep what's going on like what am i getting into so yeah i would be shocked if that conversation didn't happen so right, which means he obviously he's probably lied but no 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 but this is the thing 
And there's a nuance here of like, there are some people at Gay World who say, if you are undetectable, you are negative. Hmm. That is the nuance. And I have no idea what the ethics are around that. I mean, you would know way better than me. I haven't even thought about but that. I don't. That's the thing is, is actually as a gay man, I'm sort of embarrassed like, to say like, I don't actually think I do. So one, there's that. Two, you know, one thing Danny and I did is when we first started dating, I can't take prep because of my health, the pill. I'm actually now... They have a shop version, which I do, but I couldn't take the pill for many years. So Danny and I, for long into our relationship, had protected sex. At some point, when we transitioned into being extremely exclusive, you know, getting married, all that stuff, that changed for us, and we got tested beforehand. And we would get tested consistently because of my, it's my thing. And so we did that, but I don't know if every couple does that. And I think for me, the thing about this is why in a world where this disease and listen this disease ravaged a community ravaged the world by the way i watched the movie philadelphia for the first time in oh, like 10 years on the flight oh, to london which so feels like such a fucking weird precursor to this situation that i'm in which is sort of blowing my fucking mind yeah that's like a little bit like prophetic in a weird way oh that's so weird yeah so why in a world with a disease that, by the way, no longer sits primarily with gay men, why in a world where someone can be treated to a point of being deemed negative, you know what I mean? Is it so shameful to own your truth and own your mess? And the thing is, in some places, not telling your status if you are positive is actually... A crime, probably. Yeah, it is. Well, I think it's the fact that he doesn't want you to say anything where he knows that clearly it's a problem if you had to mention it and he hasn't said it. Well, yeah, because it's possible he already lied about it. That's the thing. It's like he's already sort of right. backed himself into a corner because maybe in that moment he didn't want to come clean. And now if he's called out on it, it looks really bad. And maybe he's backed himself into a corner. I mean, did he elaborate when he told you? Because I assume your reaction to him was like, okay, I'm not going to say anything, but it's not me who should be saying something. You should be saying something. Like, what was that conversation like with your friend? I hate to say that I totally pussed out and it actually gets a little worse, but let's take a quick break and we can dive into my reaction and what the fuck I should do when we get back. So I got this phone call from him in the middle of my, which is fucking just also prophetic, trying to hunt down my prescription in the Uber on the way to the doctor, having just left a meeting, having a five o'clock call that I had to get to to record with you guys at six. And so he sort of like slapped me across the face with this as I was like walking into the doctor's office. And I'm fucking ashamed at myself for this. But my response was like, yeah, of course. And it was just like a, yeah, of course, I got to go. Don't worry. You know what I mean? Like, it was like sort of like a, yeah, of course, but it was out of like distraction and like doing other shit, but like also like stunned. I hung up the phone. I got this fucking prescription. I got back into the Uber and I like wanted to pick up the phone and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Are you fucking insane? Like, who the fuck do you think you are? This is crazy. Like, this is the thing. I'm fiercely protective of my friends to a stupid point. We'll do anything for them. I actually don't mind him putting me in this situation at all. I want to be like, what the fuck are you doing to this man? So, you know, he included you in this. You didn't have a chance to have, you know, considered conversation with him. But I think that's what you need to make time for. Even if you have to, like, 
I don't know, corner him in the bathroom and be like, dude, I did not have a chance to say this when you first told me and I felt blindsided and kind of like dumbfounded by it, but this is just not cool and not okay in any way, shape or form and not the way to start a relationship for sure. Yeah. Can't you just send him a message to be like, Hey, you know, sorry. I was like super busy with stuff. I had some time to think about this. I am not comfortable with this whatsoever. I really don't want to be put in this situation and just kind of put your foot down and just, I don't know, at least then he knows and maybe he disinvites you to dinner. No, I, I want to be in this situation. I want to roll in and look at this guy Got in the it. face and be like, he's fucking lying. To, you know my ass. I'm like, I'm Got like, it. no, no, I don't mind being yeah. in this situation. But this is the thing. I, I called a friend, a gay friend, and he's like, he's undetectable. Why does he have to disclose? So it's a really, it's a really divided conversation, it sounds like. But again, it's like that, again, it all comes down to the personal responsibility situation in that, yeah, okay, maybe it's like, he's technically negative if he keeps taking his medication like in a letter perfect way but i'm so curious as to whether this guy he's dating actually asked him his status and if he lied about it because like right there that's just totally fucked up and i say there's like a high probability that that happened agreed i would almost bet my life that it did i think your only recourse to be honest is to pull your friend aside and say you have to come clean this is not okay if anything happens, it's gonna haunt you. And say, if it's a really, really that challenging of a conversation, like I'll, I'll be there with you or I'll do whatever you need to support, but you have to come clean. Do you think, and this is where I'm like, what responsibility do you have? If you know someone is positive or has a potentially dangerous sexually transmittable disease and is not disclosing that to someone, what responsibility do you have and where does it not just lie in friendship but in human moral responsibility what is gonna haunt me for a long time is did he do it even if he tells me he did or didn't did he do it and do i have a responsibility to do something so just let's play it out so let's say you did right let's say you had like let's play out the scenario let's say you had the conversation with your friend he either says he says he refuses to have a conversation he doesn't need to he's on the medication he's testing negative and then you're like i i'm not i'm not comfortable with that i'm gonna tell this guy he's dating anyway it's a friendship ender right it's a friendship ender with that guy so you know you know you have to be okay with that or you could tell him he has to come clean and he could say you're right i'm gonna do it and then it'll haunt you whether he did or didn't unless you fact check it with the boyfriend I mean, there's a lot of ways the situation can go sideways and there, that may not be avoidable. I mean, the only way it can't is if you have the conversation with your friend and he acquiesces and says, yeah, you're right. You know, I've come to my senses. It's not cool. I was just like, I felt really shameful. And I thought maybe because of the medications, I didn't have to. But, you know, I hear all your points and you're right. I don't want to start out a relationship on the wrong foot. That's the best case scenario. It sounds to me like you're kind of pessimistic that it would go that way. I feel like to have done what you, he's done, he's made it very clear. He's not willing to come clean. He's not willing to tell the truth. Like, I mean, in some ways you kind of have to ask yourself, like, is that, I know you care about this person and you enjoy him, but like, is that the kind of person you want to be spending time with? I think that's a fair question. I think, you know, where I... We could give him a rough cut of this and you could say, hey, I really want you to listen to my podcast and give me your feedback. And then you could just give him like a rough cut of this episode and then, you know, you make a this decision. Is where I, 
this is where, and this yeah. is why. I, give it to him right now and listen to him on his way know, home. I think I've done a lot of things in my life that if you looked at them as individual situations, someone could say, do you really want to be friends with a person like that? <laughs> yeah. No, I do. And, and I think I've, I've done a lot of work to be able to own some of the like shitty, horrible things that I've done. And they've all been done out of fear, out of scarcity, out of shame, out of trauma. And they've never been purposefully malicious or for gain or for greed, which is why I'm very comfortable talking about them now and why I started writing the book and why I wanted to do this podcast with you because I've learned that the moment I was able to like own my messes and look at them as something that didn't have to define me as long as I handled them properly and as long as I took accountability and that I could actually look at them and say like, I turned that horrible thing I did into something great and it taught me how to be a better person and it made me stronger and it made me better to my friends and my family and to the world and all these things. And so I've given myself enough grace that like I have a hard time just writing someone off who in 98% of other situations has been a wonderful human being and I've seen him be a great friend to me a great friend to others I've seen him be great to his family like but this has me sick to my core and the thing is is part of it is I think I need to have this conversation with my friend I also just need to get more educated on what is the risk is he in the right because he is undetectable like what is the science behind it, because I actually don't, you know, I got hit with this an hour ago. I don't fucking know. And I'm sort of ashamed that I don't. I mean, I got to leave here in 27 minutes. The thing is, I want to cancel so bad. Because <laughs> I'm also just tired and worn out. And, I'm, you know, look, I'm like literally sweating thinking about it. You guys, look, you see, I'm like sweating. You could give him a warning before going to dinner. Just to, cl- to, to give yourself some clear, because you felt bad that you just said, yeah, 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 sure, because you were like in a rush. So maybe if you clear that part out and you say, hey, listen, just letting you know, like, I thought about it. Like, I'm, I don't think this is cool. I'm going to come to dinner. I want to show support, but I'd like to have a conversation. Yeah, with I think tomorrow. that's, yeah. I think that's, that's right. that also clears because your that, at least you can absolve yourself yeah. of having just been like, yeah, of course, no problem. Right. Because that's right. the first thing hanging over your head is that you re- reacted that way. So I think you need to clear that out of the room and like tell him like, actually, dude, I'm not cool with your approach, but like we need to have a thoughtful conversation about it. Wonderful advice. I appreciate it. Well, I mean, you know, of all your messy situations, I definitely don't envy this one. <gasps> I mean, this is a really, this is a tough one. No, I, I'd take the, I uh, I lost my rental car. I left my rental car in another uh, state and forgot to, I left my <laughs> rental car with the valet. <laughs> yeah, I'd take that one too. Slightly less serious. Do you Slightly know what? less I almost serious. did that like again two weeks ago. <laughs> oh my God. Why is that not almost had a repeat. Uh, I'm such a disaster. Well, thank you. I appreciate the space and the non judgment and the friendly advice and the sage advice. Mesh, thank you for doing it at midnight in Pakistan and staying up to, to help it's me. It's only 11. Oh, it's only 11. Okay, fine. I'm going to have to report back on this one. So we'll talk about it maybe next week as an opener and see where the hell I end up because woof. But that's it for today. Good luck. Good luck and you're a good friend. Bye, guys. Bye. Messy Situations is a production of Lola Media and is produced and engineered by Riley McCaskill with assistant producer Mesh Lakani.